Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia and streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available via both 3CR and Freedom of Species websites, with all podcasts being available via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. This is Kate Gracie. And today I've got two separate interviews for you. The first one is with Sheer Friedman of Supermeat, which is an Israeli food biotech company. And the second one is with Alexandra Sedgwick of Cruelty Free Labs Victoria. So first up, there's been a bit of a buzz in the food biotech world of late with the emergence of cultured meat. You might recall the headlines a few years ago when a hamburger was created wholly in a Dutch lab, and that was largely bankrolled by one of the Google founders. Well, that whole scene's stepping up now, and a number of companies are gearing up to manufacture and market cultured meat. You might have heard of it called in vitro meat or lab meat. Anyway, it's real meat that's being grown from an animal cell sample. So it doesn't grow a new animal, it just grows the meat which that might sound a bit gross to many people, but, you know, many animal advocates say that that's no grosser than the the slaughter, disembowelment and consumption of what was a sentient being. Hmm. But whichever way you look at it, it's going to have huge social and environmental implications. And Supermeat is one of numerous food biotech startups that want to save the world by addressing this very curly meat issue. I recently had a chat on Skype with a biologist and spokesperson for Supermeat, Sheer Friedman in Tel Aviv. Supermeat's been creating a, such a buzz at the moment, and mm-hmm. I understand that it reached its crowdfunding goal in something like eight days, which is just amazing. How did that happen? I mean, with that level of support, I'm surprised mm-hmm. the world isn't already vegan. <laughs> well, we we are a little bit pleasantly surprised as well. We were very optimistic going into this, but we did not expect to hit our first step in less than two weeks. 99% of crowdfundings don't reach $100,000 at all. So this was very heartwarming and, and we were very pleased to see that people understand how important it is to get this cultured meat product out there to, to help Supermeat achieve its goals. Um, it's not about being vegan, although most of our team is vegan. I've personally been a vegan for over for around 11 years or so. I do care deeply for the animals and, and the environment, and that is the main motive uh, for us in doing this. But a lot of actually, most of the support uh, we believe should come from actually the non-vegan side as well, since most people who aren't vegan. Um, 
are not eating meat because they enjoy the thought of, of hurting animals and they don't eat meat because they like the terrible environmental impacts on the planet. They eat meat because um, they like the taste of it. That's how they've been brought up and they don't feel like changing their, uh, their ways. And in that sense, that is why we call super meat super meat because it's the perfect, uh, the perfect meat. It will solve the problem of having to change people's habits to reduce animal suffering and to save the planet. The meat industries today are the most harmful to the planet uh, right now. And it's not just about uh, helping animals, it is also about helping the planet. So once people will convert their traditional meat for super meat, and we will believe it, it and we believe it will happen uh, very easily since it will also be way cheaper to consume, then nobody the the traditional meat consumer will not notice a difference in the product it's not tofu or seitan it's a hundred percent real meat that has the same texture and flavor and it's even healthier for you and you don't have to kill animals or to hurt the planet anymore so it's perfect sounds too good to be true this is something that if you're a vegan for the animals and, and if you want to help the animals and if you have the animals in mind this is something there is no reason not to support and that is why we are getting so much support from the vegan community as well yeah it's a good point to make like you say it's this is not just limited to to veganism this is about the environmental impact this is about uh, feeding the world this is so much bigger than mere veganism it's huge sure sure as a matter of fact i i don't expect vegans to eat it i, I couldn't care less actually um, myself as a vegan for 11 years, I don't miss meat at all. If anything, I miss dairy a little bit, <laughs> but, um, but it's not, I, I couldn't care less whether, whether or not vegans choose to consume it. That's not the issue. What will save the animals and save the planet is once is, is super meat being the traditional meat that people consume, that, that super meat will become the meat that people choose to eat and they will choose to eat it because um, a lot of big meat companies have actually contacted us and told us that once super meat will be out there, they will conform their uh, slaughterhouses for super meat factories. So a lot, we, we've been getting a lot of questions about uh, what will you do once, once the meat companies will try to will try to fight you and and it's actually not going to be this way at all since super meat will be cheaper uh to consume cheaper to buy and and cheaper to to sell uh there's no reason for for the big meat companies not to convert to to super meat products to sell super meat products super meat because it needs way less resources it will also uh cost way less money our Estimations right now are talking about anywhere from one to five dollars per kilogram. Uh, so it will be way cheaper to consume. And mind you that the the big meat companies, they're not looking to hurt animals. They just want to make money. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they want is to make their money. Their goal is to not hurt animals. Their goal is to sell meat in order to make money. Now, if they can sell meat and make money and make even more money without hurting animals or the planet and get great um, great credit for that as well, why will they, they not do it? The meat industry will not be against us, but will actually go with us and convert their own meat for super meat. The implications <laughs> are, are enormous. I understand that it's chicken meat you'll be making. Will it only be chicken meat forever or is that just a starting point? 
what we are planning to do in the research ahead is to take uh, one cell sample from a chicken. It's a one-time thing. The chicken gets to live happily ever after. Nothing bad will happen to that chicken. And Professor Yaakov Nachmias in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem will take these cells and in his lab will, will give them the conditions that mimic the physiological conditions of the chicken in a way that will convince the cells to grow into muscle tissues. Now, this is something that he has actually done something very similar to before. Uh, Professor Nachmias has been globally known for a technique called human on a chip which is a technique uh, of growing um, human liver cells outside of the human body without the use of an, any animal products in any way, shape, or form. So he is planning with some optimizations to use this amazing technology that he's developed uh, to culture the meat of the chicken. Now, once we will achieve that, and we are, we, we are expecting to have a prototype in about two years, and we are expecting to hit the market in about five years, uh, there will be no reason not to go to the next step, maybe culture uh, pigs or cows or fish. We are not sure yet, but we decided to start with the chicken because it's the most eaten animal worldwide. We talk about around 50 to 60 billions of chickens per year. And since one of our main motives is the welfare of animals, we decided to go big. We decided to go for the biggest industry in numbers. So that is why we're starting with chickens. So you take a biopsy from the animal. Mm -hmm. You take a cell sample from the animal. How much cultured meat can you make from that single cell sample? Like how often do you need to return to the same mm -hmm. animal to take more cells? Or can you propagate from each new generation of lab meat, like making yogurt? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that's a, a great question and a very important one. Uh, the beauty of Professor Nachmias' uh, technique and plan is that he, uh, he thought of a very certain cell type in the chicken's body that he can extract only once with which he can feed the entire world. Wow. So one chicken, yeah, it's, I know it sounds too good to be true. I know that is what a lot of people tell me. But as a biologist, I understand the plan. And let me tell you, it's not too good to be true. It is the truth. Professor Nachmias has already done something very similar to this with prior work of his. And that is why we are so, so certain that he will be able to, to achieve this as well. I hope that chicken gets a knighthood because that's incredible. You know, mm -hmm. the, the chicken will get to live happily ever after. We will presently take care of her. So he's never done this before? Not the culturing of the chicken meat, but he's done something, some very similar work to this on human uh, liver tissues. But so, so the prototype hasn't occurred yet. So yes. there is the potential, the celebration here of super meat mm -hmm. might be premature. Um, look, you never know what the future holds. Anything can go down the drain. There's always the slightest chance that things don't go like they are planned to. But we do have uh, a great plan and uh, that we that we are backing on, on prior work of Professor Nachmias. And even if it doesn't go perfectly as planned, let's say even if it doesn't take two years, it will take three, maybe five years, who knows. But even if it doesn't go perfectly as planned, it will still be something that we will achieve at the end of the day. 
I remind you that this is not something we came up with in a day because we felt like making money or something or we were bored. This is our life's mission. I've been a vegan for 11 years. Uh, two of the company's co-founders have been a vegan each for over 15 years. We care about the animals. We care about the planet. And we will not stop until this thing becomes a reality. What form will this meat take? Will, that, mm-hmm. will a meat eater be able to buy a drumstick or a chicken wing or will it just be a boneless product for making uh, like a fillet or for making ground meat? Okay, so so the possibilities are really endless. We are rest assured that we will be able to create bone marrow and we will be able to create fat. So it will not just be a lifeless uh, piece of uh, muscle tissue. It will be a complex uh, uh, piece of meat that mimics perfectly the piece of meat that you will find inside the body of the chicken. Think about it as two biological twins. The reason why you can't tell the difference between two biological twins is that because their origin is uh, is the same cell. They they started from the same cell. That cell uh, duplicated and each of them grew separately. But since they started from the same cell, they grew into identical looking individuals. And since we are taking, since the origin of the cultured meat, of the super meat, will be from cells inside of the chicken's body, it will be like an, a biological twin of the meat inside of that chicken. And so how long does the manufacturing process take? From, from taking a cell sample to having a meat product? Mm-hmm. In the future, what, what we are aiming at is that people will have meat-making machines that will resemble like a, like a little microwave or an oven. And they will be able to take uh, like some sort of a cell powder or a cell capsule and put it into their meat-making machine. And in around two weeks, they will be able to grow a fully grown piece of meat to eat. That will be the beginning. Uh, I'm sure that with when uh, when time goes on, uh, the more we progress with this technology, it will even be faster and more um, and more beneficial. Well, the mind boggles at at, what's, mm-hmm. what, at what the mm-hmm. future holds. And so, does lab meat have the same potential health impacts like heart disease and high cholesterol, etc.? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let let me answer that. There are two parts to this question. First of all, a lot of people call this lab meat, and I understand the need to call it lab meat, but but it's very important for me to emphasize that the end product will not come from a lab. Nobody will eat something. Not even our professor will want to eat something that came from a lab, right? Um, any food that we eat today, that we consume today, at some point of, of its lifespan has gone through some sort of a laboratory stage. But the food that we buy in the supermarket doesn't come from a lab. It comes from a factory. And so will cultured meat at the end of the day. Now, um, for the second part of the question, will it have the same health impacts? Yes and no. <laughs> in terms of it, it is a piece of meat. So if meat contains cholesterol, it will contain cholesterol and, and so on. But it will not contain many things that we have in the chicken that we know today that derive, that, um, that specifically derived from their raising conditions. For example, chicken today contains tons of salmonella because the chickens are raised in filthy conditions, okay? Uh, They're raised in their own feces and so on, and therefore their meat contains a lot of salmonella. 
so we will not have any salmonella at all in cultured meat. Another example is that the chickens are given many arsenic compounds, which are uh, very toxic to our bodies, and they are given to them to speed their growth. This is also something that will not be used at all with cultured meat. The chickens are given tons of antibiotics. Around 80% of the antibiotics in the United States are fed to animals in factory farms. That is because they are so crowded, the potential for diseases is huge. So they are given so many antibiotics to make sure that nothing happens. And even that doesn't always guarantee it. And we, in turn, ingest those antibiotics, and we give rise to antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And, and, and that is something that is terrible to, to do to our bodies and to everybody on this planet. Um, and uh, cultured meat will not contain antibiotics at all. At best, it will contain a very little amount, but nothing like what we, what we are ingesting right now in the meat that we are buying in the supermarket. So no salmonella, no arsenic compounds, very little to no antibiotics. And in terms of cholesterol, B12, iron, and so on, it will be very identical to the piece of meat that we eat today. So if you don't believe that meat is healthy for you, then then you wouldn't might not uh, you wouldn't want to consume super meat because it's the same type of meat but if you do want to eat meat and you want to eat meat that is healthier for you super meat is the best option for you how will it contain b12 because i understand that b12 the animal gets b12 from the soil and the and the grass it eats so how will mm-hmm. how will b12 be in cultured meat okay so Uh, you, you are right that the animals, every organism, ourselves included, are feeding our tissues with what we ingest from the inside world. Now, uh, when it comes to culturing a tissue, uh, we are giving it food as well. Now, that food will not contain any animal products, any animal serum in any way, shape or form. And we will make sure that the, the tissue is being fed with everything that it needs to grow into a piece of meat. So cultured meat will contain DHA and creatine and carnosine and all those nutrients that, that meat eaters want in their meat? Um, yes, sure. I, I don't want to get into the specifics of every single uh, um, ingredient, but the overall idea, the overall picture is that it will be uh, – is that it will mimic uh, perfectly the meat of the chicken. And can its fat content be – manipulated higher and lower yes that is also something that we are thinking about the fat uh, amount in the meat product can be manipulated it can be manipulated to be higher or lower maybe changed to better types of fats the possibilities are really endless You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, and that was a track called The Islands by Fate. Let's go back to our interview with Shea Friedman. She's a biologist and the spokesperson for Supermeat, which is a new food biotech company. She's telling us about the vegan community in Israel. Uh, we believe that the vegan movement in Israel 
is the biggest in terms of ratio to the population. I take India out of the equation because most vegetarians and vegans in India are vegetarians for um, religious reasons. So I take that out of the equation. If we take India out, um, I very strongly believe that the vegan movement is, is the largest in numbers in Israel in terms of ratio. And it is, uh, it is also very morally based. If you look at other vegan communities all over the world, I believe they are more health-oriented. And here, it is way more ethically driven. Why the difference between Israel than other parts of the world? Well, a lot of the, without complimenting ourselves too much, uh, the vegan movement here in Israel uh, actually started uh, with a very few, with, just a few people that were very ideologically motivated. And one of them actually is uh, the company's co-founder, Kobe Barak. Uh, Kobe uh, was one of the biggest uh, leaders of the vegan movement around, um, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago. And since he is very ethically driven and a lot of people around him, the, the core uh, back then was very ethically driven, the vegan movement grew on that basis that that core initiated. And that is why I believe, that is at least my interpretation, that, that the vegan movement looks like it, it does uh, today in Israel. And that is also why we are getting so much um, we are getting so much support from the vegan community here because it's they are they are asking less questions of what about the health issues and what about this what about that it, it's less they are concerned about the health issues but the, their biggest their biggest wish is to see the animals not being harmed anymore in factory farms and that is why they are backing this up. Uh, so much. I'm not saying there there aren't people who are against this. Obviously, it's such a big issue. There will be a lot of sides to this debate. But the great majority of the vegan movement here, from what I can see, are very supportive of this. It sounds like the perfect place to start Super Meat. It sounds ideal. <laughs> I hope so. Yes. Yeah. I hope so. So super the Super Meat startup seems to be running parallel to some other vegan meaty ventures like. Beyond Meat in the US. Do you mm -hmm. see Beyond Meat and those other ventures as competitors or collaborators in this new biotech food industry? Mm, not exactly, since uh, Be Beyond Meat, what Beyond Meat is doing, um, as far as I understand, is to make um, plant based substitute for meat that mimics very, very um, very, very well, the meat tissue. They are putting a lot of science behind this and a lot of thought. And I have nothing but 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 hope that they will succeed in their mission. Um, but at, at the same time, this will not be meat. It will be plant-based. Uh, what we are doing is creating meat. It's not plant-based. It's not soy. It's not, um, um, it's not made of corn or seitan or tofu. It is meat. So our product is more aimed towards people who don't want to hear about giving up meat. They like their meat. They're good with eating meat. They don't wish to find any plant substitute for their meat. They're, they're, they're good with what they have right now and they don't want to change their habits. So this is where our, our product is, is, is aimed at and this is what we are going for. So it sounds like the organizations like Beyond Meat and super meat, they're actually complementary. 
um they they might in terms of in the future uh, um i hope that that yes you will have uh, a great um range of products that you can consume some are plant-based some are actual meat but in any way they will not hurt animals or the planet so this is a great uh a, a great vision for our planet yeah absolutely now i've i've heard people saying that super meat harms the vegan movement by maintaining the commodification of animal products rather than just moving to a plant-based diet. How do you respond mm-hmm. to that? Okay, well, first of all, let me say that I, I, I've heard this, um, this argument as well, and I do understand where it comes from. Um, since, since if we are aiming towards creating meat that doesn't hurt animals, in a way it's like saying people need meat. But please remember, at the end of the day, The planet doesn't have a lot of time to waste. By 2050, we will be around 10 billion people on this planet. 50% of the planet's land is already covered, is already occupied by the meat industry. One third of the fresh water of the planet goes towards the meat industry. 90% of the deforestation in the Amazon is because of the meat industry. The meat industry is the number one fault, has a number one fault for global warming and so on. We don't have time to waste Veganism is a great solution, but we all know that it takes a lot of time to convince people to go vegan, and most people do not go vegan, and even those who do go vegan, not a lot of them stay vegan. I am not saying that is something I'm happy about, I'm just telling you the truth as I see it. Now, the planet and the animals don't have time to waste and to wait until people will decide to stop eating meat if if at all. If we want to see this planet thrive, if we want to see this planet alive, if we want our grandchildren and grand-grandchildren to have a safe planet to live on, we have to take the quickest way possible to, to save the planet and to save the animals. The animals and the planet couldn't care less why they are being saved. They just want to be saved. If, if, if you ask a chicken that is about to be slaughtered, uh, would you like to be saved by, by super meat or would you like to be slaughtered now and wait, I don't know, hundreds of years until the world will go vegan? What do you think she will say? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so I truly believe as a vegan, as someone who cares deeply for the, for the welfare of animals and for the welfare of this planet, that even though... In our greatest dreams, we dream of a world where no meat is consumed and, and, and meat and dairy and egg products are off the menu. We have to be more realistical about this. And we have to understand that we don't have time to waste. So super meat is the best way to free the anim- the best and the quickest way to free the animals and to save the planet. And it is as big as, as it is as big as that. If you go to our website, uh, supermeat.com, you can watch the, the uh, info video that we did about this. You can see all the stats of how supermeat will be so beneficial for the planet. Now, in, in terms of um, resource input, how does mm-hmm. supermeat's ecological footprint compare to regular meat? 
Mm -hmm. it will be drastically lower. There was a research done, not on super meat, but on traditional, uh, but on cultured meat as, a, as an idea, as a whole. It was done a few years ago um, uh, in the universities of Oxford and Amsterdam. Uh, they compared um, uh, a gram of cultured meat to a gram of standard meat in terms of their resources and, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions and so on. And what they found is that cultured meat will need 99% less land. It will need around 80% less water. It will emit around 80% less greenhouse, gas, uh, greenhouse gases. And it will need around 30% less energy. So it's an amazing cure for this dying planet. It's, this is why we decided to call our company Super Meat. Because it's like the Superman of meat. <laughs> you know, it's it's... Uh, this is why we are so excited about this. This is something that can literally be our reality in five years' time. This is not uh, science fiction. This is not some sort of a dream. This is realistic. This can happen. With Professor Nachmias's plan, it is possible. Is the product going to be a genetically modified product? No, no, not at all. We are... Uh, very uh, determined that this thing will not be a GMO, it will not be a frankenfood, it will be a piece of meat that is grown naturally naturally and organically outside of the animal's body in a, in a surrounding that mimics the natural surroundings of the inside of a chicken. So no GMO, it's not a frankenfood, it's a natural piece of meat to eat. So when are we going to see it in Australia? Hopefully, once we will hit the market, it we will it will go global. I mean, the technology once it will be out there, there will be no problem um, spreading it around to the entire world. So I believe it will not take too long until it will be in Australia and the U.S. and all over the world as well. You're expecting the market to explode at that point? I'm not sure it will explode right away. It will take some adjustments. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure that it will be way quicker than what we expect. I wish, just wish you could hurry up. Can you hurry this up? Yes. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, when we're dealing with biology and nature, some things can't be hurried up. That was an interview with Shea Friedman, who's a spokesperson for Supermeat and a biologist. So you've been forewarned, cultured meat is on its way. Now, she recommended this next song by Avril Lavigne. It's called my happy ending and she dedicates it to all the neglected pets. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday 14th of August, Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick, 10am to 5pm, free entry, stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare and kids space available all day. For more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Arm yourself with ideas. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio 855am. Now there's a science student at Deakin Uni in Geelong who's started rocking the boat about the practice of animal use in Deakin's labs. She staged a recent demo at her uni campus, got the attention of the age, and was pretty much dissed by her faculty's dean and has subsequently founded a campaign called Cruelty Free Labs Victoria. Her name is Alexandra Sedgwick and she spoke with me from Geelong a couple of nights ago via Skype. 
Alexandra, tell me, what's the scale of the dissection and vivisection issue in Australian unis? Well, I mean, I think everyone has a perception that Australia is one of the most ethical um, countries when it comes to animal use, but actually we're one of the worst. So it's about 6 million animals that are used in research and education every year, and it's been increasing um, every year for the last 10 years. So it's it's a very secretive industry, even though it's taxpayer-funded, universities are you know, keeping to themselves what they're up to, and definitely it's not something people are aware of. Now, you made front-page news in The Age very recently, and I believe that culminated in a very disappointing meeting with your faculty's dean. Can you explain what happened that particular day? So the intention of the meetings that I originally were trying to set up was to demo software that is alternatives for using animals in training, um, which never got to happen. It really was about getting me on my own and making me shut up and stop talking about what I was talking about and to try and make it go away, which at the time was a really uh, intimidating experience and really draining and definitely not what I expected to happen. But, you know, in hindsight and after speaking with some other students who have been through something similar, it's basically just the tactic they use on everyone. One of the issues is that the whole point of science is that it's supposed to be evolving and keeping up with, you know, as the world becomes more modern. But really, there's a lot of people who are benefiting financially from the way things are in Australia, and they're trying to keep things the same. So anyone who's going up and trying to question the way we're using animals in, in research and in, and in science in Australia is just getting, like, people are losing their jobs or people are just too afraid to, to speak out. You say that there's people that are benefiting from the, the, the status quo as it is. Yeah. Who are they? How are they benefiting? So the way um, grants are given out in Australia, there's a priority at the moment given to research that uses animals, and there's no investment of um, grants or funding into coming up with alternatives or doing research with an alternative. And in other countries, that's really common practice now that's happened for a really long time. It's, it's, in, it's encouraged to find a way of doing it without using animals. So in terms of universities winning grants, um, they want to do research that uses animals because that's where the money is. Right, because I mean, I've seen a video demonstration of digital dissection software and at least to my layman's eyes, it looked amazing. It looked really in incredible, the the detail and the, the understanding that you could get from this software. When I first heard about it, uh, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be anything worth pursuing because you imagine something very, I don't know, simplistic. But I've had a go of all of them, and they just completely – I mean, I feel like most people would do better um, – and there is the, the they've done their research in, in the states with the software, and students do better um, if you know all the same as students who are using animals. So there's certainly no disadvantage to switching it out. And obviously, it's reusable, and there aren't the risks involved. So it really just makes absolutely no sense <laughs> to me as to why they weren't interested. I read recently that the U.S. medical schools are about to cease using live animals in their classes? As of, I think it was about 10 days ago. So how did they achieve that? It was from students standing up for animals, um, students protesting, students refusing to dissect and participate. Um, you know, it, it's easy for universities to make out that there was something they decided to do on their own, but 
really any big changes like this happen from enough people speaking out about the issue and saying, no, this is wrong, something needs to change. Is your objection to dissection and vivisection, is that just in student context, in that animals shouldn't have to suffer or die for, for old learning, or is it across the board, like no vivisection, any place, any time? And are there any exceptions to that rule? Um, to, to me, there's there's no justification for, for animal use, and certainly animal use in science is completely redundant. Um, there's no purpose for it. I see it as similar to, I guess, medical advancements that have happened due to horrific human human rights violations. No one would ever look at those events that have happened in history and say that was worth it because now we have that this new technology. Um, it, it's really an abuse of power that I think is, I think unis have a duty of care to not create that kind of environment for students because I, I also think it's, I mean, ethically, that, that person as a graduate is just not going to make, <laughs> not going to be making the kind of decisions that, you know, are really fair for the animals. What about those studies that have been done using humans and have had really disastrous results for those humans? If Well, the thing is, in, in legally in Australia right now, like drugs need, have to be tested on animals first, but we've cured so many diseases in animals. We've cured cancer, we've cured AIDS. It doesn't necessarily translate, and usually it doesn't. So a lot of people have either been delayed in receiving treatment because animal studies have continuously been failing while, you know, hundreds of animals are dying a year to try and get somewhere, um, or drugs are then approved and then when they do human trials, it just completely fails. And the whole issue as well is testing drugs and procedures on healthy animals is not a very good, is not a representation of testing something on a human that has a disease or is sick. Do you know anything about the greyhounds that were used by the dental school at Melbourne University? You know, it really just breaks my heart because these poor dogs already have been through so much. They all come from the greyhound racing industry and I guess they're lucky enough not to just be killed straight away, but then they end up being used in just completely horrific research. And the same is true for, you know, horses that are used. They're all ex-race horses, jumps racers, you know, animals that get injured. Really to support um, animal research is to support the abuse of, already the most vulnerable um, animal species in, in Victoria because they don't have a voice and no one cares about them. No one even knows what's happening to them. Like that, that's the biggest problem is there's this issue of censorship um, and, you know, trying to find information is such an uphill battle and it just shouldn't be that way. Like the, the public, which is paying for it, deserves to know like what's happening and, and what animals are being used. Absolutely. I'm sure that, um, most students at those leading universities would be appalled if they knew what was going on in on their own campuses involving animals. And, and you know, it's scary because it's one of those things where it, it is hard to get into uni and pay for it and it's a huge expense and you're obviously you're fighting for a future goal that you want to achieve and then along the way everything that you care about is, is being challenged and it's that thing of like you want to stick up for animals but then you don't want to compromise what you what you fought so hard for and I just don't think that young people should be having to to go through that either like you shouldn't be having to make those decisions um I don't think it's the job of institutions to decide what what's right and wrong when it comes to, to animal cruelty um I'm getting so sick of being told that you know universities aren't hurting animals and then, you know, in the next 
conversation I have with someone else just hearing about these horrific stories and I just don't know how they can justify it. Did you anticipate doing dissections when you enrolled in your science degree or is this is this perhaps a campaign that you've really been preparing for even subconsciously when you first enrolled? Well I think um, when I, I, I started doing science because I wanted to be a vet and before that I did vet nursing and I guess I have had, you know, friends over the years who have been in science and it was always a very abstract kind of thing. Um, and faced with it, for me, I'm not one of those people who is like disgusted and doesn't want to touch an organ. But for me, when I see an organ or I see a, an animal that's deceased, I'm thinking about how they died and I'm thinking about like how things could have been if we weren't as a culture inflicting sort of this violence on animals and it's just distracting. Like it was always a distraction for me to be trying to learn and always just having this emotional thing going on at the same time. Did you have the option as a student to be a conscientious objector to uh, dissection exercises? Well, this is actually a funny one because a lot of me and my friends we we didn't want to do dissection and we were told we had to do it or that we could fail that part of the unit. Um, so, of course, all unis have statements up that no one will be forced to do dissection, but all the stories, even from people that I've just met through this experience, have been given, you know, being given a ridiculous essay with that that's obviously a punishment because of the word count or, you know, being kind of humiliated in front of their peers. A lot of people go along with it because they're embarrassed and it's not an environment where um, speaking up in that way is, you know, it, it, you're, you're going to be ridiculed um, and people don't want to do badly. But I guess behind the scenes, it is something that causes people to drop out and switch courses and leave. And that's a big thing that has keeps coming up is people reaching out to me saying that they've left their degree because they didn't want to hurt animals anymore. Wow. Is that something you've contemplated yourself? Well, I mean, I'm majoring, I'm doing a double major now, but it, it's not biology related at all. And that's because I didn't want to be doing dissection anymore. And a lot of people do do something similar. Like, so for example, a lot of people who go into the conservation environment, wildlife kind of courses, they still have to do a lot of dissections. And um, for me, you know, wanting to be a vet, if you're going to uni because you want to help animals and you want to help the environment, but then as part of your training, you have to hurt animals and support, you know, animal agriculture, which is the biggest, you know, thing harming our environment right now. For a lot of people, they feel like, why am I participating in this? Um, it's not in line with where I'm at with my ethics. Do you have your own stories and do you have, do you hear a lot of other stories from students about the, the horrors of dissection? Yeah. And, and you know what? It's been really hard for me to deal with because I guess like privacy is a big thing. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but at the same time I'm trying to piece together what's going on. And some of these things, it's like, it's so hard to carry. Um, and, and I just feel like people need to know, like that's really where I'm at is that so many students have these things that they're, these stories that they're carrying around. Um, they're too afraid to talk about it because they think they're going to get kicked out or that they're never going to get a job because they're going to be, you know, singled out as being a whistleblower or something but then they have to carry around this this horribly traumatic experience. So, I mean, part of what I'm trying to do as well is create, I guess, like a safe environment for students to be able to talk about what's happened. That's great. I understand you've got really big new plans for an anti-dissection network across Australian uni campuses, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. 
So it's not just dissection. This is to abolish the use of animals in science. So this is uni students. This is members of the public. This is, you know, scientists, you know, a range of people. And I guess what I'm doing is I'm building a network of people who want to speak up for animals and want to be a voice for lab animals because people really don't know what's going on. And, and I guess like, I guess I've trying to been trying to show that for me, all I did was make a video and put stuff on social media and it's already had such a huge impact. So I really want to bring more people into the fold and, you know, speaking up for animals isn't, isn't something that necessarily comes naturally to everyone, but I want to really encourage other students to, to be more active in, in how they feel about the way things are right now. What kind of response have you had to date? It's been totally amazing. After the weekend, I had hundreds and hundreds of messages that I that I was going through, you know, some people just supporting. A lot of people were, were quite upset and devastated with, with how the meeting went because they're obviously studying at Deakin and they were hoping that they would then have an alternative and have software. So to hear that they would still have to do those sections was, you know, w- was really hard to hear. But then, you know, other people have reached out and they wanted to, want to get involved and I've already made so many friends and people who are really passionate about animal rights so it's really just getting more and more exciting all the time I'm actually uh probably next week launching videos of my campaign ambassadors so I'm building a team at every university in Victoria of people who are going to spread our message and we're just going to try to keep growing a big part of this as well and part of my meeting with Deacon is that we want to be rehoming animals so we have a huge database of sanctuaries and specialized carers who have experience with, you know, lab animals that have compromised immune systems or different illnesses. And we just want to get as many lives saved as we can and get the animals out. And hopefully we can abolish, you know, all use of animals in science in the near future. Fantastic. What's the, when you say near future, do you have a, a kind of a, a time frame in mind? Yeah. So our next, event is going to be in early 2017 so in about six months and we're going to hold it simultaneously across all victorian universities and it'll be a public event when you say an event you mean like a a rally or a demonstration yeah so yes so a protest i guess a peaceful protest um that will hold at all universities that sounds brilliant now how do we how does a student who's interested in getting in touch how do they get in touch well, at the moment, we have the Facebook page that's been up for about a week. So everything's going to start going into the one place instead of having it over a, a range of different platforms, which is how I run the other events. So it's going to be a little bit more organized now. Um, but we're going to have a website up soon. And definitely, we're going to be doing a lot of outreach. So I'm going to be visiting different unis around Victoria and just meeting students and hearing their stories. And if, if people want to be involved, you know, the more the merrier. I want, I want everyone to get to get behind this. If, if students are interested in getting the software and meeting with their unis and, and demoing it, please get in touch with me because I'd love to facilitate that. Um, if, even if people don't want to necessarily be an ambassador or work with Cruelty Free Labs, um, you know, I do have a lot of resources available and I'd really love to help anyone who, who wants to do something similar where they're studying. What's the Facebook page or the website that you're using? So our Facebook page is Cruelty Free Labs Victoria. And eventually, I'm sure there's going to be a Cruelty Free Labs New South Wales and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people have been reaching out and they're like, I'm not in Victoria, but I want to be involved. So at the moment, we're just building support here. But 
you know, eventually, hopefully, it'll be every uni in Australia will have a team there. This is Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, and you've just been hearing from Alexandra Sedgwick, who's a science student at Deakin Uni and who's the founder of the new campaign, Cruelty Free Labs Victoria. I've got a few minutes left to share some community announcements. The Monash Vegan Society is having a launch night this Wednesday, August the 10th. That's going to be at Monash University at 6.30pm. Then Be The Change Animal Shelter is having a trivia night at the Goodwood Community Centre. You have to buy tickets for that one. That's going to be on Friday, August the 12th. Little Oak Animal Sanctuary at Braidwood in New South Wales is having an open day. Tickets are essential. That's on Sunday, August the 14th, starting at 11am. Shark Savers Finraiser is an event to raise funds for legal and prosecution costs incurred from the debating of drum lines during the WA shark cull and that's being held by the Fremantle Environmental Resource Network. That's being held on Sunday the August the 14th. Further details for all those events can be found on their respective Facebook pages. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you want to reach us you can get hold of us via our Facebook page or via our Twitter account or even via email info at freedomofspecies.org. Big thank you to Sheer Friedman, to Alexandra Sedgwick, to Avril Levine, to Fate. And I will leave you now with a song recommended by Alexandra by a band called The Chainsmokers. It's a song called Don't Let Me Down. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.